you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it. We are in Matthew 22 this morning. And we're actually going to cover quite a few verses this morning. I know it's kind of unusual. We're actually going to go all the way through chapter 23, but we're going to start in chapter 22, verse 34. And I'm going to jump right into it. It says, uh, and now it's not working, so you'll have to. There we go. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Pharisees, I mean the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Well, as we're getting toward the end of, end of the book of Matthew, you might remember the last time that we were together. The conservatives and the liberal religious groups were kind of in sync. They both were getting to a point where they absolutely um, had this hatred for Jesus and who he is and what he represented. So they were kind of in sync. They kind of got this common thread going, and they didn't like Jesus of Nazareth. And this is his final week before his arrest. And, and they kept going into the temple and interrupting his teaching with challenges, with questions. And they were trying to, trying to get him you know, kind of twisted in, in his words and caught up where they could say, Aha, we caught you. The problem was, he's God. He knows what they're doing. He's not going to make a mistake. And they didn't catch them. So they finally got to a point where, man, he just keeps answering these questions. Great. And the people are kind of siding with him. We need to just kind of be quiet. Uh, and they just kind of you know, stopped asking him questions. So all these different groups are coming to him to, to trick him. And, and I love the math, what Matthew uses, uh, the word here. He says he silenced them. And here, it, 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 and we talked about this a little bit on Wednesday night in our study, but uh, the word silenced here is the word muzzled. Have you ever wanted to muzzle somebody? You know, I, okay, you're looking at me like, okay, you want to muzzle? Okay, sometimes I understand that. <clears throat> My wife would like to do that. But, you know, they just keep going on, and you're just like, well, you just, you know. But the Pharisees are still there. They're this, this right-wing fundamentalist conservative of the day. And last week we talked to, about the liberals back then, okay? And, and don't equate liberals back then and conservatives back then with our politics of liberals and conservative because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't work that way. It surprises many people as they, they read the scriptures. They find out that Jesus was not a Pharisee. He was not a Sadducee. He was not a Herodian. Any more than today, he's a, he's a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian or a Socialist or a Communist or a Green Party. Jesus is apolitical. He's not into politics. He's into saving people. That's what he's into. And they tried to, to drag Jesus into politics, and he totally rejected that idea. 
But the Bible thumper Pharisees, they're right there, and they prided themselves. Uh, they, uh, they, you know, they were very proud. They prided themselves on obeying the law, especially the Sabbath, observing the, the Sabbath and all the festivals and, and really understanding and studying the law and following the, you know, okay, in the morning, first thing I need to do is this, and then I need to do this, and then I, and they have their good list makers. How many list makers do we have? Okay, you're, you're all Pharisees. Oh, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. You know, they were the list makers. They were like, I want to understand what I need to do and get this done and do it the right way um, so I can, you know, so I can follow God. But they couldn't figure out which was the greatest commandment. They'd been arguing about this for years. You go back and, and read some of the Jewish writings and stuff, and, and you will find arguments after arguments on this subject. So they're going, teacher, rabbi, you, you're, the, you're the one that has authority. Which one is the greatest law? Now, the Pharisees, they had something like, um, they had determined in the Bible that there were 613. Now, some people say 11, some people say 12, some people say 622, and I just say it's all too much, okay? I mean, they had, you know, they, you know, they were the 613 people, and they certainly didn't, you know, hang around those 622 people. I mean, heaven forbid. They even determined that there was 248 thou shalt's and 365 thou shalt nots in the Old Testament. I mean, they were, I mean, they knew the word of God. The list was very long, and they could expound upon that list so that thou shalt and that thou shalt nots. In fact, they did this, and there were pages and pages of pages of what this one sentence, thou shalt not do whatever, and they would go, okay, well, that means this, 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 and they would have all these lists that they ended up with a 50-scroll set of what you should do and what you shouldn't do. I mean, that's, that's like the Encyclopedia Britannica in the little small font. You know what I'm saying? That's who they were. They knew that they could not know them all, much less all the extra that they piled on there. So they wanted to determine which of these commands is the greatest importance. In other words, let's ignore all the little ones. Let's just concentrate on the big ones, the large ones. Which, which one, do we, you know, follow that important one? So which one is the greatest law of them all? Well, Jesus responds with what is called the Shema. It's what every good Jew would know, and they would, say, they would pray this at least twice a day. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. In the Old Testament, it says strength there. Again, we talked about that. The, the, the Greek combined those two words. And the, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these commands. So Jesus actually gives them two for the price of one here. And if you're taking cliff notes on the Bible, and if you must obey um, any commands, obey these two commands. And if you obey these two commands, then you'll follow pretty much the whole Bible. I mean, think about that. How easy is that? Just know two things, and you're pretty much on the right path. Now, he came as a man, so he gave us two things. If he came as a woman, we'd have four, or five, or six, or ten, or twelve things on our list, right? But he's a man, so we get two. I mean, guys, you're following me, right? Your wife gives you two things, you understand that? She gives you more than two things, you're like, I, I don't know, I'm confused. You know, as men, we understand that. Jesus gives us two things. The greatest command in all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, is so simple. 
Yet it's so hard to do. It is so hard to do. Because to really love God is to love Him with all your heart. It's to love Him with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And let me explain what those four things are. Your heart is who we are, the essence of who we are, how we, uh, how we treat each other, how we counteract with each other, how we interact with each other. Our, our soul is, is, is how we worship the Lord, how we, how we have that relationship with Him. Our mind is our learning the scriptures and learning about God and getting into the Word of God. And our strength is what do we do with it once we've done all those things. So just follow those, you know, that one verse and you've got it down. You're, you're good. I mean, not only getting out of bed, but coming to church. Not only singing a little, putting a little money in the, in the boxes in the back, but there's more to Christianity than those things. It's more than Christianity than just Sunday morning. Jesus is saying we need to love him with all of everything. This means all of my mind. Not just that part of my mind that I partitioned off for God. You know that little part that I keep God over here, but the rest of my mind is opened up to the world, right? No, I've got to open up my whole mind to God. If everything we thought went through the filter and reflected on who God was, man, we could live a life without sin, right? Unfortunately, we're not going to get there. Don't ever, let, don't ever you know, let, let somebody push you toward what you've got to be perfect in this life, because you won't be. But we strive toward that perfection because we love the Lord. To be able to go, well, man, this thinking that I have right now, it doesn't really reflect God. This activity that I'm involved in right now, the things that I'm doing with my hands and my feet, man, this doesn't reflect God. This movie I'm watching, it doesn't reflect God. This relationship I'm in doesn't reflect God. And some of us go, ouch. This one's a hard one. I mean, if you're not married yet, then you got a choice. You either leave that person because your relationship doesn't reflect God, or you work on that relationship to, to a point where it gets to a point where it reflects God. If you're married, you have some work cut out for you. You got to work on that. Don't just give up. This one's a hard one. These things that I'm doing, the, the, the drinking too much or the smoking or, the, or the, the things that I watch, how does it reflect on God? These are the things that need to go through our mind as we live our life. When I'm at school, the words that I say. When I'm at work, how I treat my coworker, how I treat my boss how I treat those that, that work under me. All those are important. What I say about them, does it reflect God? How many of you did not say a bad thing about anyone this week? Oh man, we need to stop and pray right now. You know what I'm saying? We live in a world that is so negative. We live in a world that is so, you know, our minds are geared toward, man, oh, that person. Now, which is harder, to love God or to love my neighbor as myself? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Neighbor. Man, I would be a great Christian if it wasn't for people. I would be an awesome Christian if I didn't have to deal with people. You know what I'm saying? 
well, who is my neighbor? He defines it as anyone you run into. Oh, man, I'm in trouble. You mean I got to love the people at the zoo the other night? I took my son to the zoo. We went down to the Fresno Zoo. They were having some event where they get candy, and they have the little booths and all this. And, and, you know, there's not a ton of room. There's a ton of people and not a ton of room. I mean, the path is only like 12 foot wide, right? Well, then you have this couple. They got their double-wide stroller. They park it in the middle of the path. And then one of them stands on this side of the stroller, and then the other one stands on this side of the stroller. And I'm like, my Lord. And he's going, yes. You, you called me? I'm like, no, no, my, I mean, look at him. Oh. So we're trying to get through, and I, I just couldn't help myself. I said, as I went by him, I see you had to park yourself in the middle of the path, and I just keep walking. And God is telling me, I need to love them. But Jesus, look at what they're doing. Yes, Alan, I see what they're doing. But they're idiots, Lord. Yes, they may be idiots, Alan. I understand that. But you still need to love idiots, okay? Okay, that's my commentary. God's saying you need to love people. And we're like, oh, man. In Islam, you can hate anyone who doesn't agree with you. That's what their scriptures say. If you're an infidel, if you don't agree with their teachings, they can literally hate you. In Buddhism, you can ignore anyone else outside of the way you think. In fact, Buddha himself abandoned his family to go find the higher calling, to go find the, the mysticism, the, 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 the consciousness of God. He left his family to go do that. And just about every other religion You don't need to love your neighbor. And Jesus comes along and says, oh, no, 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 no. You need to love them. Love your enemies. And we're like, oh, man. So let me ask you a question. How good are you at loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And then how good are you at loving your neighbor as yourself? I mean, how many of us love ourselves? Okay, let me rephrase it. How many of us love ourselves? Not the way we look, but we love ourselves. Okay, because some of us look in the mirror and go, oh, man. Okay, we all love ourselves. How do we treat ourselves? Well, if we have the opportunity, we treat ourselves well, don't we? Love our neighbor as ourselves or yourself. Do you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you love him or do you love your neighbors as yourself? I hope that question bugs you all week. Through the Holy Spirit, not through me, but I just hope it bugs you. Feel to, to, to us get to a point where you say, that thing I'm doing right now, this decision I'm about to make, does it reflect how I feel about the Lord? The conversation I'm having, does it reflect God? See, the lawyer asked Jesus for the greatest command, and in true fashion, the Lord actually gave him two commands. You know, the truth is this. You can ignore all the other 600 commands. And if you followed these two, you most likely would be following all those other Old Testament commands. And I say, praise the Lord that we're not under the law because we would all be condemned to hell. Okay? But at the same time, the Lord still confirms those commands and says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So we're not to ignore them. We're we're to strive to follow them, but we're not under them. Does that make sense? 
I hope I'm not digging myself in a hole here. You would be very close to being a biblical Christian if you follow those two. It's like Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything else will fall into place. Wouldn't that be great if everything just fell into place? I got like 20 things on my plate that I'd love to just fall right into place, right? The more we follow God, the more those things fall into place. In fact, the Apostle Paul says it like this in Romans 13, 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, or whatever other commandment that there may be, are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not harm, uh, do harm or does not harm its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So Jesus keeps going, and he, he asks him a question in verse 41. He says, while the Pharisees were gathered together, hey, now that you've all gathered together and you've been trying to trap me, let me ask you a question. What do you think about Christ? Who, whose son is he? Well, the obvious answer, the, the son of David, they replied, he, you know, they said to him. And so he says to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? Now to understand this passage, because I mean it's so, you, you get in there and you read it and you, you have to read it like four or five times to figure out what it's trying to say, and then we still don't understand it. We have to go back to Psalms 110. You have to go back to the Hebrew and understand the, the Hebrew language sometimes. So that's, that's what commentaries are good for. That's what uh, other, other other leaders who have gone through and studied some of the stuff, that's what, he, you know, learning, a, being able to figure out, okay, how can I figure out where the Hebrew is so I can learn this word, you know? Inter, interlinear Bibles that show the Greek and the Hebrew right along with the English. Those are all good for, uh, right here it says, here, well, here's a couple of words. This is what I'm talking about. It says, the Lord said to my Lord. Well, the, the Hebrew says, Yahweh said to Adonai. Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. See, these guys knew the scriptures. They knew what Jesus was saying. They understood the nuance here. Yahweh means the existing one. The existing one, the creator. It was so holy, they wouldn't even pronounce it. We think it's, it's pronounced Yahweh, but we don't know because there's no pronunciation marks. They, uh, they would not say the word. Even today, many Jews, they don't write the word God. They would put G-D because it's so holy, they don't want to say his name lest they offend him. So it says, the existing ones who said to Adonai, my master and my owner is what it's saying. Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now, you wouldn't call someone Adonai unless they were your father or they were your boss or your master. You know, if you work for a company, you don't call your, uh, the guy beside you boss, do you? Unless he's really your boss. But you know what I'm saying? You go down to the office and say, hey, boss, you talk to him if you need something. You, you understand what you're following, what I'm saying. The existing one said to Adonai. So Jesus says, then David calls him Lord. How can he be his son? King David calls the Messiah his master and his owner. How can the master be David's son? 
You see, it was unthink- you know, unthinkable in this patriotic, uh, patriarchal, I can't even say half these words, you know, society, the society where, where the man was in charge of the, and the, the oldest male of the family was in charge of the, of the family until he passed that down and he passed it down to the next male when he died, okay? And the man was in charge. It was so hard for them to understand that, uh, you know, that the David is not passing that down. He's calling the Lord Messiah God, my owner. For David to, uh, you know, be accountable to anyone except God, they couldn't understand that. Why would King David call Messiah God? Well, they were stumped. They didn't understand this. Now, we have to remember that Jesus accepted the title Son of David. Remember the, the blind man calling out saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. And then we hit Palm Sunday where he's coming down the, the, you know, the Mount of Olives and they're doing the, the you know, palm branches and they're, they're singing out Hosanna and they're calling him Son of David. He accepted that. And the Pharisees didn't like that at all. And now they're really, really getting ticked. Not only am I the Son of David, Jesus is saying, I'm also David's Lord. And that can only mean one thing. Jesus is calling himself God. And for the Pharisees, this was a big no-no. Here Jesus is fully human and fully God. And the Pharisees are not going to buy this. They consider this heresy. In a couple of days, they're actually going to arrest him over this fact. They did not like it when he talked like this. But they couldn't do anything about it. In verse 46, it says, No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared ask him, any more questions because Jesus kept turning it around on them now in Matthew 23 Jesus is going to take his final shot at the Pharisees his final kind of digs at who they are and how they act in his final days he's put up with them for three and a half long years and he pulls out all the stops the entire chapter is devoted to the Pharisees it says here then Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit, sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on man's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. Jesus' harshest words were for the hypocrites. They knew the scripture better than anyone else. These people observed the law. These people debated the little fine, little nuances within the law. Well, I mean, that word has the word the in front of it. And what does that mean? I mean, they would debate over the, the stupidest little things. They had all the knowledge but focus on these small things that did not matter. See, the Pharisees were the ones that vetted everyone. They're the ones that looked at everybody, and, you know, including Jesus. They even gave the devil credit for many of Jesus' miracles. How sad is that? Jesus is like, hey, everyone, can I get your attention? Don't act like these guys right here. I'm calling out these guys. Don't, don't do what they do. They're all talk and no action. You could imagine the reaction that he would get. All talk and no walk. So the question, you know, the, the, this begs the question, 
How do we not become a Pharisee? How do we not become that? Well, first off, we need to practice what we preach. If you say it, you live it. If you say you're a Christian, you live like you're a Christian. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. It doesn't mean that you're not going to fall down. It doesn't mean that, that uh, you're not going to accidentally sin, I mean, or purposely sin. We, we all have sin, don't get me wrong. But we need to walk what we say. We need to walk our talk. We need to practice what we preach. Number two, don't expect more out of others than you expect out of yourself. It says here they, they tab heavy loads and put them on man's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. Wow. He's saying don't make religion into a burden for anyone. And that's what religion does. See, J Jesus takes our burden and makes it light. So if, so if your burden is heavy, it's certainly not from God. That is religion, not Jesus. See, I'm okay with people seeing my flaws. I'm okay with people seeing our church flaws. That's okay. Because I would hate it for someone to walk in here and say, you are a hypocrite. That would be the worst. For someone to, to think that we think we're better than other people. That would be tragic. You know, we're, we're so busy for God that, that, that we forget to have a relationship with Him. It's like a marriage. Sometimes marriage turns into a task, right? You know, I, I just saw on Facebook... Um, a lady, it was an article that was linked, and, and a lady basically took all the words that her and her, her fiancé at the time were saying to each other on text, back and forth, and they've only been married like four or five years, okay? Uh, texting was around, and, and when they, they were dating, and, and all the words that they text back then, you know, honey, sweetheart, love you, you're my dreams, you know, all those wonderful things. And then now that they've been married like four or five years, all the text words now, okay, see you later home soon. You see what I'm saying? Because once we're married, some things become like a task, and that's okay. I mean, I've been married over, over 20 years. I mean, that's, that's part of our relationship. We've decided, as, because, I mean, when you're dating, we, it's all lovey-dovey, right? I mean, you, you're like, I can't get enough of that person. Now, when you're married, okay, no, I'm not going to say that. So, <laughs> when you're married, you, it, there comes a certain point in your marriage where, where that kind of wanes, that lovey-dovey, I'm all over each other type of thing. I, I can't keep my arm off my wife even in church, and, and, and that's okay if you have your arm over your wife's shoulder. That's fine, okay? But as you stay together longer, what happens? Well, those things kind of go by the wayside a little bit, and that's okay because there's a point in your marriage where you have to decide, do I love this person enough to stay with them for the rest of my life? And the answer is yes, okay? That's the answer. It should be there. Because it becomes a little bit about task at that point. Who unloads the dishwasher? Who mows the lawn? Who does these things? You, you know what I'm saying, right? So I don't have to keep digging myself in a big hole there. Luckily, Lisa's in daycare this morning. so. But man... The question is, have you, you know, have you forgotten how to love each other? See, that's when a marriage gets into trouble, when we forget how to love each other. That's the same thing in our relationship with God. It becomes about task. It becomes about how do I serve Him, and I forget how to love God. That's where the Pharisees are. There's no intimacy. There's no relationship there. Number four, don't 
or, or do your good deeds quietly and secretly. Don't be a show-off. Don't be out there trying to get noticed. And it says here, they make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. And we go, what? Well, Moses had, you know, had given them this in the law in Deuteronomy. And he said, um, and it was the passage, the Shema passage that we read, uh, Deuteronomy 6.4, and it goes through there. It's saying, keep the, keep the, the word near your heart and, and basically in between your eyes. So they literally wrap this line because, because you're, you're beat, it, they always take your pulse and all that, usually on your left arm. Why? Because that's where the heart beats the strongest, Right? When it comes to our extremities, it's our left arm. So they would wrap it over their left arm, okay? And then they would put this box right on top of their head in between their eyes. Because the word, they took this literally. They said, well, the word needs to be between our eyes. It would be on our mind all the time. So they sit there and they pray and they do this little dance back and forth and all this kind of stuff. And they repeat the same words over and over and over again. And people go, why do you keep singing those songs? And you keep repeating, we were talking about this this week, Kim and I were talking about, you know, repeat the same words over and over and over. Well, it goes out throughout history. We keep saying the same thing. They do the same prayer over and over and over in front of God. Uh, maybe a couple more pictures. Okay, there we go. So he says, uh, you know, in Deuteronomy eleven eighteen, fix these words of mine in your hearts and on your minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking with them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. And I got a little thing from Israel that, that, that ha, has this verse and the, and the Shema verse, uh, Deuteronomy 6.4, and it's supposed to, you're supposed to put it on the door frame of your house, and it has the scripture. So anybody that comes to your house, they see that and they know you're, that you follow God because that, that thing is there. And that's, so they literally follow these commands so that your days and your days of your children will be many in the land of the Lord swore to your forefathers as many of the days that the heavens are above the earth. So the Jews, they took this literally, like these pictures. There's nothing wrong with it. But then the problem was they took it and said, this is the only way you should pray. You have to do this in your communication with God. And Jesus says, all you guys are doing, you're just showing off. You're just, you, you've just decided this is, you know, the border of your garments was supposed to be blue to remind you of heaven. They have different colors that, that would have presented different things in, in the scripture. Uh, but they decided, okay, well, the border of my garment is supposed to be blue. Well, then I, mine's going to be six, you know, six inches wide. or eight, Okay, six inches wide here. You know, six inches wide because I'm going to show people I really believe in heaven. You know, so they had all these, these rules that would, would come up. So Jesus says, don't dress up to, to show off your spirituality. I mean, you've probably noticed that we're a little casual in our dress here. You know, it's okay to, to dress up. It's okay, but the idea is not necessarily to dress up to show off. You know, or, you know, growing up, I mean, I grew up in the time where the ladies wore the gloves all the way up the arms, you know. And many churches, the pastor wears a suit or even a robe. And here, I mean, I mean, I don't even wear a tie. I mean, first of all, ties are uncomfortable. Therefore, they're of the devil, as far as I'm concerned. And I don't purposely put anything resembling a noose around my neck. I'm sorry, it's just not happening. 
But also, there's not some special outfit or uniform. There's a reason for this, because Jesus says, don't go showing off. Dress like everybody else dresses. I mean, I haven't got to the point where we're flip-flops on Sunday. I'm, I'm trying, okay, no, I'm not going to go there. But he also says, don't expect special treatment. He's t- talking to the Pharisees and those that, that are really spiritual. Don't expect special treatment. So one of the things that my wife and I, we, you know, we tithe like everyone else's you know, tithes. We pay for events like everybody else pays for you know, events. It's okay if somebody doesn't walk up and call me pastor. You can call me Alan. That is fine. But here it says, they love a place of, let me go, wait, there we go. They love the, the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and have men call them rabbi. For you only have one, uh, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you only have one master and, you're, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. He is saying, don't get caught up on religious titles. And we've talked about this over and over, about how we should serve each other. We like to elevate people. That's our society, is bottom-up society, you know, or, or top-down society. You know, we keep pushing people to this. We like to elevate people. Oh, what's your title? Let me give you your business card. Let me do all, you know, all these things. And he's saying, don't get caught up into to the power or the authority. In fact, he says to them, what are you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites? You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. And then verse 14, I have in italics because some of the uh, uh, writings had this verse in there. Some of them didn't. Uh, it goes along with Scripture, so I'll go ahead and use it here. It says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You devour widows' houses, and for show make lengthy prayers. Therefore, you will be punished more severely. God is saying, don't make it hard for people to come to church and accept God. Don't make it a list thing. Well, you've got to meet these criteria to be able to enter into those doors. We're not to do that. Well, if you get rid of these things in your life, then God will accept you. You see how subtle we make it? Well, if you stop this, then you could come. And the church has done this over generations to the point where people are actually going, well, if I walk into the doors, the walls are going to fall down. If I do this, no, I can't get to God until I get rid of this in my life, and I don't think I'm going to get rid of that in my life, so therefore I'm not going to get to God. You know what I'm saying? We've made it where they think this way. We need to keep it simple. We're not supposed to try to impress people with our prayers. I mean, a lot of these guys were literally landlords, and he's saying, you just kick that woman out for not paying her rent, and then you come here and you pray this ultimately long prayer. See, our prayers should be honest. They should be going straight to the Father Father, and be honest. And most of the time, our prayers should start out like this. Help! That's how our prayers should start out. Not, our gracious Heavenly Father, I beseech, I beseech you today. 
Wouldn't it be great if you went to your pastor, you went to your priest, and he said, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to say five helps today, and three, do you really exist God prayers today? Because we're not even going to God and acting like he's there to help us. So how do we not become a Pharisee? Well, well <clears throat> I think I'm on like number 12 here, but show compassion. We need to be healthy disciples. He goes on and says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Well, okay, Jesus. Wow. Woe to you, you blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? He's saying, don't play your spiritual games with God and therefore other people. You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing, but if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. See all the games they like to play. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Now, Jesus isn't saying, well, you guys, you need to go out and make promises and swear on God's throne. He's not saying that. He's reacting and telling the Pharisees, you keep swearing by these things and look at what you're doing. And you're doing it wrong if you're going to hold yourself to that standard. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he goes on in verse 22, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You get a tenth of your spices and your, your mint, your dill, your cumin. In other words, your salary, the things that you, you work on, the things that come out of your field. You're giving a tenth of that to the temple. But you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the, the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, don't stop giving, but you should practice these other things of, of justice, mercy, and, and, and faithfulness. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Now this is a great word picture here. My son would love this. In fact, we have this book, and this book is, is This Woman Swallows a Fly, and, and, and to get the fly, the woman has to swallow a mouse, and to get the mouse, the woman has to swallow a bird, and to get the bird, the woman has to swallow a cat, and then a dog, and a cow, and a horse. And at the very end, it says, and she died. And I'm like, you know, my son keeps going around and going, I died, Daddy, I died. I'm like, son, we don't, we don't joke around like that. And then we get this book. So, I mean, I, I've lost the battle, you know. But anyway, Jesus is saying, pay your tithe, but don't focus on the things that don't matter. If you swallow a gnat accidentally, and it wasn't bled properly according to the Levitical law, it's okay. There was a group called, literally, the Gagging Pharisees. And three to four times a day, they would stick their finger down their throat to make themselves gag and throw up not to get graphic, but they would do this on purpose just in case they accidentally swallowed a gnat during the day. How ridiculous is this? What things do we do? We could all start, you know, 
starting a list, you know. But he said you should have just swallowed a camel. I mean, he's making fun of them. He's saying you have missed the point, guys, completely. Legalism takes the joy out of serving and being with God. So busy serving, just aren't God's friend. But we're serving. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of your cup and dish, and then the outside is, also will be clean. And we talked about this last week, how, how God cleans from the inside out. And we put upon other people, we well, got to clean yourself up to be able to go to the church. And God's sitting there going, no, 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 come to church so I can clean you from the inside out. What are you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites? You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You don't want to be a Pharisee. You don't want to be a hypocrite. And what this is, the whitewash team, what it's talking about is traveling. You know, we, we don't have our cars with air conditioners. You know, back then, they didn't have the air conditioner in the car. So as they're traveling, they would go into caves. They would go into caves to rest and relax because it would be a lot cooler in there. Well, a lot of times, they would use caves to bury people in. Well, if you're coming to the temple and you're traveling along and you go into a cage and there's dead bones in there, you've defiled yourself. Therefore, you can't go to temple without going through this ritual and, and staying away from the temple for 30 days and all that. So the Jews devised a plan. Well, if we ever bury somebody in a cave, if this is like our family cave, then we put this white, we, we paint it white on the outside. We whitewash the tomb so you know, oh, I don't want to go into that cave because I'll be defiled. And he's saying, guys, you're, you're, you know, you're like the whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look beautiful, but on the inside, you're defiled. And then he goes on in verse 29. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisee, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate their graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in sh the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Man. You know, a hypocrite is the same word for actor. That's where the word came from. They took the word hypocrite, that was a, a Greek word, and Jesus started using it. Jesus invented a new way to use this word, literally, and said, you actors, you're just acting. Jesus wants us to be real with him and the world. He doesn't want us to be fake. He doesn't want us to be all prettied up on the outside and the inside. We're just rotten as all get out. Are you being real with the world? Are you being real with God? See, this is all Jesus asked. The rest will come. We're just a bunch of sinners. And we've got to get that in our mind, that we're a bunch of sinners together. And we're just coming before God, and we're worshiping Him, and we're trying to learn about Him, and trying to take those things we learn and implement into our daily life. That's our goal together as a group. We're not better than anyone else. It's very important to realize how lucky we are that he decided to come here and save us. It's very important for us to understand that. We need to keep feeling 
lucky. And Jesus was just being honest with them. This is a, Pharise- uh, this is a warning for the Pharisees, but also us. Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Bible-learning people. We have to be careful we don't become the Pharisees. Legalism is much better than grace, isn't it? Follow these set of rules. You follow A, it gets you to B. You follow B, it gets you to C. You follow C, you get you to D, and eventually get to heaven. And, and don't break these rules. And if you do break these rules, we've got to start over. I mean, it's, it's just so much easier than grace. And I've said this before. Grace is messy and sometimes ugly as all get out. Ugly as all get out. Legalism is straightforward. Grace says, I can't believe you're forgiving that guy after what he did to you or after what he did to your family. I cannot believe you're forgiving him. Now, forgiving doesn't necessarily mean bringing him back into your home and all that kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Somebody that continually, you can forgive somebody without necessarily accepting them back into everything that you do. Don't get me wrong here. But we need to have this grace that's prevalent in our lives to the point where we're not walking around going, I can't believe, every time we see that person, I can't believe, let me tell you what they've done. How many of us have said something like that? Let me tell you what they've done. Yeah, we're all in that boat, aren't we? Grace needs to overwhelm us to a point where we don't say that the next time we see them. We need to love the Lord with all our heart, how we love each other, with all our soul, how we worship Him. With all our mind, what we do with what we learn and our strength, putting it into action. We need to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, why don't we stand as the worship team comes and leads us in one last song, and let's pray here. Lord, we pray that we don't become like the Pharisees. We pray that you prevent us from going down that path of feeling like we're better than other people or we have the only righteous path as long as they believe that you are the one and only saving grace. That's what's important. We pray that we don't become like the Pharisees and hold people to standards we don't hold ourselves to. That we walk our walk. We walk our talk. We do the things that we say we do. Not that we're sinless and we and that forever we'll never sin again, Lord. But that we understand that your grace covers our sin. That we strive to become more like you each and every day. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he give you rest in this world. May he give you more grace than you could ever imagine that it flow out of your life and into others. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.